0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real, different, true conversations with legendary people about business, marketing, and life. On this episode, we continue our run of legendary authors. Today, one of the smartest people in business, one of the godfathers of the experience economy, Joe Pine. He's back. And he's back because this is the 20th anniversary of his seminal work, his book with his partner, called The Experience Economy, and they are reissuing an updated version of the book that you can pick up. We dig deep into the future of experiences and how companies use experiences to differentiate and create massive competitive advantage, and why Joe says that legendary companies are going beyond experience to create what he calls transformations. Uh, You might uh, really like the part of our conversation around Joe's radical ideas and insights of building a data flywheel and the big strategic difference between Facebook and Amazon. Go to Lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com and check out the show notes for this episode for more on Joe. Now, my friends at NetSuite by Oracle are the world's number one cloud business system. And that's because NetSuite offers a full picture of your finances in one place, in real time, right from your phone or your desktop. And that's why NetSuite companies are extraordinary growers. As a matter of fact, NetSuite customers grow three times faster than the typical S&P 500 company, and you can too. And what I'd like you to do is check out netsuite.com different. And while you're there, you'll be able to pick up your free guide called Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits and schedule a free demo of NetSuite right now. At netsuite.com/different. Also, do your people think your company is awesome? My friends at socrates.ai are the leading digital conversation hub and they want to help you make your company employee awesome. Imagine being able to talk or text into your phone any HR question and getting an answer back. That's Socrates and that's awesome. Check out S O C R A tes.ai today. I also want to um, share something with you. If you're a regular listener, you know this. And if you're a new listener, um, maybe you'll think this is cool. We are in a category called authentic dialogue or real conversation podcast. And what that means is we do not edit uh, Follow Your Different. The conversation you're about to hear with Joe is the exact conversation he and I had. As part of that, one of the things that's different about this podcast is you're never going to hear an ad read in the middle of a conversation. We deal with our uh, sponsors on the front end and the back end. But unlike most podcasts, you will never be interrupted during the conversation with the guest with an ad. Because as a listener, look, I get why podcasters do it, but I kind of think as a listener, it, it wrecks the experience. And so the experience we hope you have is an eavesdropping experience on an amazing conversation. And we don't want to break that experience with an ad read, and that's why you don't hear them on this odd cast. Now, hey-ho, let's go.
1: Uh, this is a re-release of the Experience Economy uh, with a new preview that my partner Jim Gilmore and I wrote, and then you know, which is focused on the subtitle, uh, competing for customer time, attention, and money, and that's yeah. uh, that's the major focus of of uh, what we put in there uh, new in this re-release.
0: So, of course, a tremendous amount has happened in the last twenty years, and and when um, when you guys wrote the Experience Economy experience wasn't a thing. It wasn't a category of thinking or management practice. Uh, I remember it distinctly because in the technology industry, we called it a UI back then, a user interface. And today it's a UX. Right. And so you guys were at the forefront of making that happen. So tell me if you could sort of what you see as the big changes over the last 20 years.
1: You know, the, and and it is amazing how the, the just the letter X right has come to be so important. Right, that's one of those changes uh, over the last twenty years that uh, that people really focus on that experience. You know, well when the um, when the first book came out, the experience economy, we, you know, we talked about it as a nascent, as an emerging, a forthcoming experience economy, and now we say it's here. Right, it's it's, it's all around us. I used to have to to argue with people that this was happening. And now I just I just say it. I just talk about hey, goods and services are no longer enough. What people want are experiences. So we've gone from an agrarian economy, industrial economy, service economy to an experience economy. People go, oh, yeah, I get it. And 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 that's uh, you know that's a, a big difference. Um, another one is that you know when we first talked about it, we're still seeing mostly what you would call uh, you know the traditional genres of experience. You know the the, the uh, concerts and plays, movies, of course, even even TV. Uh, sporting events, theme parks, and that. Now there are entirely new genres of experience that pop up. You know, still so very often from you know uh, uh, Instagramable places like the Museum of Ice Cream and the Rose Museum, and that to uh, escape rooms, right? A new genre that has come out in the last ten or twelve years to rooms of all sorts. You know, there's salt rooms, there's breathe rooms, there's rage rooms, there's uh, all these different uh, places that people can go to. Um, and then, you know, of course, the big thing was the internet was really in its infancy back then. And, uh, you know, it, sort of the World Wide Web was, was put out there in 1994. And so in 1999, when we wrote it, we didn't really have a much to say on it. You know, later over time, we looked at it more thoroughly. And obviously, the original reason that people were on the internet was to to surf the web, was to have the experience of things that they couldn't have otherwise but eventually the internet became the greatest force of commodization ever invented and that's continued to to play out um one of the, the things we talked about that probably got the most um um criticism i guess or that the people thought were the most crazy at was when we talked about how um uh, in the future, uh, uh, retailers would charge admission. tours would charge admission. Uh, companies, manufacturers, uh, you know, of all sorts, because it's a simple fact that when you're staging experiences, what people value is the time, and you have to align what you charge for what people value. That means charging admission fee or a membership fee or, so, or so sort, some sort. I uh, just this morning um, uh, saw an article that somebody sent me on a, a bookstore in Tokyo, Japan, the charges is fifteen hundred yen, or about uh, fourteen U.S. dollars, just to browse the books. I mean, books have been the most com- one of the most commoditized uh, industries because of Amazon. You know, Borders went out of out of, out of um, um, you know went bankrupt. Uh, Barnes and Noble is, is very close to going out of business, um, but this bookstore created basically a bookstore as an art gallery. And therefore, uh, they're able to actually charge admission for it, you know, and you, and you see that all over the, the place. Again, retailers, restaurants, uh, manufacturers getting into the experience economy and, and staging admission feed experiences and, and, and whatnot. You know, back then, uh, also, there, I, I believe there were zero, I could be wrong, but I believe there were zero chief experience officers, CXOs. And now I think, that I know there are hundreds, and I think there are probably thousands of them. Um, and, you know, one of the things I reminded too is, is uh, back in uh, April, there was this um, um, article in the Wall Street Journal. And what it highlighted, it, it talked about coffee prices in April 1999 versus April 2019. And one of the things, I, I, you know, immediately struck me because the experience economy, the official publication date was in April 1999. And, and the chart showed that, that, that back then the price of coffee as a commodity right, coffee beans, was 99 cents per pound. And then in the intervening 20 years, it went way up, it went way down, it went up and down and up and down. But there in uh, 2019, what was the price? 93 cents per pound. And in fact, it was less than it was, you know, exactly 20 years ago. And, you know, that's a big part of the tale of the experience economy is that commodities go down in price. So commoditized goods and services go down in price. And that creates the, the demand that, that creates, or, or actually that's not the demand side, that's a supply side. That's why companies therefore have to shift up to stage experiences or live with being a, a commodity.
0: And so it, 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 it's proven out to be a massive source of competitive, and I'm going to use this word on purpose and mean it how it's supposed <laughs> to be meant differentiation. It's a way to be different, to create something that is unique for a customer that um, may may be a minor wrinkle on an old thing that is somewhat intriguing, and it may be a whole new category of thing. But one way or another, you are incorporating more into your product and more into, I would argue, the definition of your whole market category by adding this um, component to it. And, and to your point especially businesses that heretofore weren't thought of as experienced businesses you know you, you could sort of get going to a rock concert or a play or something you know sure. going to a Disney World or whatever that those are experienced businesses back then we probably wouldn't have called it that but you could get that pretty quickly hard to believe you'd be charging to go into a bookstore.
1: Right, right. And that's not even the first bookstore that I know of. There's another one, um, Leo Liveira, uh, in Porto, Portugal. I had a friend that just went there a, a couple of months ago, but I'd heard about it before. It's like one of the most beautiful bookstores in the world. And and J.K. Rowling you know, spent 10 years in Porto, and supposedly this bookstore with its staircase inspired at least some elements of, of Hogwarts in that. And so people line up to go in there, and the traffic was so bad they said they had to charge admission. Because people were coming in, taking up space and not buying books. And so they did put in an admission fee. Uh, I think it was originally three euros. Now I think it's five euros to be able to go in the store. And, And here's one of the great things they did is that they said, okay, now if you buy in the store, then we'll give you the five euros back. Right, so it encourages that purchase as well. Right, so they get paid for the emission fee. It encourages the purchase, and that's often how I recommend to companies that if you're afraid of going into it, well, you know, at least charge an emission fee or, or state it's uh, that there's an emission fee. Even if you're you're afraid to charge it, then give a reason to give people to to to, to not have to pay it. Right, because you're a good friend, because you're a favorite client, whatever it might be. But then charge it and then give give people back what they purchase in there. And then eventually you get to that point where you can just charge admission for it because you've created an experience worth having, right? And that's an admission fee even also sends a signal that this is that experience worth having.
0: Well, and it just continuously rattles around in my head since our last conversation, Joe, uh, you know, and uh, to have staying power in a brain like mine is an achievement.
1: So. <laughs> I suspect you're undercounting yourself, but all right. Well, it's
0: crowded with a lot of, you know, whiskey and spinal tap lyrics and shit. But, uh, but is this whole notion that you're either a company that people spend time with or save time with? And, and, and then there's this other thing that you say, which is work is, is a theater and every business is a stage. And somehow these ideas are connected in my mind, but maybe pop the hood for me on these, Joe.
1: Sure. And it's one of the things we talk about in a new preview. We have this new time model that's a progression of time. And, and the, the main demarcation point is what you say. It's about time well saved versus time well spent. Time well saved is is a great service right is that that people are saving your time that you can you go in get your oil changed in less than half an hour you know for example you can use an atm instead of go into a bank saving your time you can use your phone and not have to even go anywhere at atm right all of those great services are about time well saved
0: by the way i Uh, I hate to interrupt you but i've always thought as a customer that jiffy lube is one of the most underrated (laughs) companies in america Yes, They do a great freaking job at that place.
1: Yeah, they really do. I mean, it's, it is amazing. And, and, you know, I actually changed the oil once in my car, the first car I bought back in 1980 uh, and then said, okay, I don't have to do that again. (laughs) And that's, that's one of the, what's one of the shifts you see right back 20 years ago, some people actually still change their oil in the car. Almost nobody does today because it's so convenient and so priced. So, you know, that, what service companies do is they allow you to save your money and your time, so you can spend your hard-earned money and your hard-earned time on the experiences that you enjoy and, and value. And that's what that's what experiences are, right? They're time well spent. Now there is a category below that, though, uh, that that some companies aren't very good at, at even saving time. Some companies provide or you know what call time wasted, right? That they waste your time. You know you you go to a hospital and you sit there in a waiting room. Uh, and and one of the first things they ask you is to fill out a form of information they already have, right? That's that's wasting my time. Uh, you sit there, you, you think about sitting at a stoplight where, where no cars go back and forth, and you just wasted 60 seconds of your time, you wasted 60 seconds of gas, you've wasted the Earth's resources, you've wasted, in fact, the most precious, uh, uh, limited resource, scarce resource on the planet and that is the time of individual human beings. And so you need to eliminate that time wasted. You need to get rid of, stop wasting people's time and turn that either into time well-saved by eliminating it or taking that time and making making it time well-spent. You know, the, the classic example there, you mentioned Disney World, right? is is standing in a queue at, at, at a Disneyland or Disney World theme park, right? And they, they were the first ones to snake lines that I know of so that you – uh, could uh, people watch while you're there, right, to spend a little, get a little bit of, of experience. They, they set expectations by telling you, like, from this point, it's 25 minutes to the ride, but in fact, it's only 15. So when you get there, okay, that wasn't so bad. Uh, and then as you get into the ride, you start to get underneath, you get the pre-show of the experience. They set up the anticipation of the experience, which actually makes the actual experience better because of what you learned there. And so, those are ways of taking time wasted into, into time well, well spent. And then there's one more level of the model. I know we talked about last time the economic offering after experiences, which is transformations. We're using experiences, the raw material to guide people to change, to help them achieve their aspirations, as with healthcare, as with fitness center, as with management consultants, and, and so on and so forth. A coach of any kind is in the transformation business. And what they offer is time well invested. Right, that you invest your time, they help you invest that time in the experience that you have that will pay dividends down the road by by um, uh, help, by again helping you achieve those aspirations that you have become become better in some dimension of self that you that you truly want to excel at.
0: So, if I get this right, there, there's now three dimensions. So we have: I'm a company you spend time with. I'm a company you save time with, mm-hmm. uh, and now the sort of the next domain where, where transformations live is I'm a company you invest time with.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And so that could be anything from a, a stockbroker to a personal coach. Um, uh, I assume it would be somebody who teaches me a skill. I go to a dude ranch for a weekend with my friends and, you know, family, and we learn some archery. And so at the end I can, sort of hit a bullseye <laughs> or right. in still, fact, in something fact, when we, I learned something.
1: Right. I, I, I spent a lot of time working with tourism associations and companies in that. And one of the big trends there, it's been for the last couple of years that people are just increasingly talking about it, is transformative travel. Right. The idea is that when we travel, when we get out of our normal daily routine, routines is when we are most open to change or we're most open to new, new thoughts, new ideas, to, to learning new skills and so forth. And so, a lot of companies are, are spending a great deal of time and thinking about how do we help people when they spend a week or two with us? How do we help them them change? Um, and you know, again, along dimensions that they want. There's even a, a, a transformative travel council that is bringing together and creating you know, it's, it's sort of like the Airbnb of, of transformative experiences where you come together and then uh, book uh, experiences that will, in fact, uh, help you uh, change over time.
0: So. So I I find all of this fascinating and I, my brain, you know, I also go to all these technology enabled things that are, that are transformative in nature. Right. And, um, but before I jump there, I, I had this aha a little while ago and I've been dying to sort of poke, poke at it with you. And the aha sort of goes like this, this past summer, a good friend of mine and his, his family came to visit from the UK and I hadn't seen his kids for quite some time. And last time I saw them, they were kind of rugrats. And now they're sort of mid, mid-stage, early to mid-stage teenagers. And, you know, we live close to the beach in Santa Cruz. And so we set up this whole experience dinner, right, where we're going to do uh, uh, weenies, uh, you know, uh, hot dogs on the beach and and s'mores and and a fire and watch the sunset and have this wonderful experience. So we do that. And it was great. And guess what the kids are doing the whole time? taking pictures no <laughs> they're on their fucking devices right
1: right right uh, yeah so i bet they're, they're they're sitting there with their i mean even so they're not they're not even into the experience enough to take pictures of it they're just correct. doing other stuff while they're there right
0: correct they're not watching the sunset or the waves or any right. of that they're doing tiktok or whatever the f- i don't know what they're doing whatever they're doing <laughs> right nope. and so me being me i'm ribbing them about it. i'm like hey uh there's right. a sunset over there, eh? And like, <laughs> whatever, right? I'm, I'm giving them a hard time about it, right? And they're kind of poking, pushing me off. Anyway, here was the aha that I had. Are we at a point now, Joe, where for certain types of people and maybe certain ages of people, their digital experience is their, let me call it, primary life experience. Mm -hmm. And their physical experience (laughs) is their secondary life experience because the aha that I had sitting on the beach with these kids was the sunset is interrupting their (laughs) primary experience. Right, right. Whereas for you and I... Let's just call us men of a certain age, <laughs> a certain vintage, right? Right.
1: right. Me probably um, me probably more vintage than you, but go ahead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're way better looking than me, though. Um, but but that, that for us, for the most part, um, the digital experience, while important and increasingly important, um, we view our life as a physical experience that is supplemented by the digital one, where in point of fact, I think in the case of a 15-year-old... Right. Um, it's actually in flipped the other way. And so, A, I want your reaction to that, and B, then let's see where that takes us in terms of what that means in the world.
1: Right. You know, it's it certainly is moving in that direction. And it certainly is a possibility. You know, you you've heard of the term singularity, you know, where basically we merge into the computer. And it is then a primarily digital experience that we have. Uh, I don't think that will ever happen. I don't think it's technologically or humanly uh, possible. But people talk about it, and certainly that you can see how the direction is, is going in that way. You, you know, there's movies that have talked about that, um, like her. Uh, you know, with uh, with the. Um, um, uh, the, with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson as the voice in his in his ear, uh, where he cares more about that and 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 basically falls in love with this AI in his ear than uh and, and foregoes what's going on in, in the real world. Um, you know, I, I think I think though that you know every trend sows the seeds for its own counter trend, that eventually uh kids will figure out, you know, there really is a beautiful sunset out there. And if you look at it live in 3D natural 3D uh, with the colors, the smells of the beach, the, the the sounds of the waves coming in. That it is far better than any experience um, that you could have uh, digitally. I, in fact, you know, wrote a book a number of years ago. This one here is called uh, Infinite Possibility: Creating Customer Value on the on the Digital Frontier. And and where I do have a model in there about fusing the real and the virtual. That that you know where that's what augmented reality does. And and, uh, and talk about various different forms of how you use digital technology uh, to create experiences that you, you really can't have in reality. And that, that's where I think it is good. There, there are things that you can do with, with virtual reality or virtuality, as I call it there, that is simply impossible in reality. But I have a chapter on reality it's the shortest chapter in the book but i have a chapter on reality where i basically say do not read this book as a plea to abandon reality <laughs> for it will now and forevermore have the richest of experiences and that is still the case the richest experiences are there and i think eventually they'll they'll uh, you know grow into that and understand that and and uh, sort of you know uh, dial back on the the technology one hopes
0: you know there's an interesting sort of I was going to say dilemma, but it's more of a fascination for me in this, which is, um, you know, so for example, we had Eric Yuan on the podcast, the founder of Zoom. Mm. And he made a claim that when he made it sort of knocked me back. And today I'm sort of learning to understand more, which was his intention with Zoom over time is that the digital meeting experience far exceeds. better, right? And so not even better, but like an exponential leap, you know, and one of the examples he gave was people of different languages being able to simultaneously communicate. Right. So that would be one example, but when he said, no, 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 you got to get this. He was polite about it, but he's like, Hey dummy, um, (laughs) what we're actually trying to do here is build a, a a technology that makes um, meetings exponentially uh, more powerful digitally than they could ever be physically. It's not just about getting rid of the spit, the, 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 the geography between us. Right. right. And, and that sort of knocked me back. And then I've had this sort of ongoing thought about that. It's like, okay, so where are, let's just call them digital or technology enabled experiences at a place where they are exponentially different, you know, and, and one that shows up in my life is I'm a huge UFC fight fan. And, There is no question, as a matter of fact, the commentator for the UFC, Joe Rogan, who sits cage side, says this, that the TV experience is a meaningfully uh, more powerful experience. And I can explain why, but it's probably obvious. And so uh, I just start to wonder about like, okay, so (laughs) how many experiences are uh, are we going to get to where the digital uh, enabled experience is like actually the one we choose?
1: Yeah, well, you know, and I've often thought. I mean, I love going to live baseball games in particular, but other sporting events too. And I've often thought, like, you know, sometimes I'll be I'll be sitting there and watch a play go up, and then I look up for the replay. You know, <laughs> you know, where, where's that replay? And it's not always there when, when you want it. And so there are you know there are some ways in which it is it is uh, better today, and that will continue. You, you think particularly about being able to augment it so you've got overlaid information of what you want to see on that cage fight if that's what it is or baseball game or football game or whatever uh that you can choose your seat and perspective and change it over time which you can't do live in the game that and that and that we can each do what we want personally that it can be mass customized to each one of us because it's all digital information at that point and anything you can digitize you can customize so I do absolutely believe in those sorts of things. That that there are definitely dimensions along which it's going to be far better than than watching it live. Um, but then you're also going to miss out on on dimensions of being there live in the place with the crowd, with the socialization that you have, with the the pace of it, uh, you know, the different ways and so forth. And uh, but but absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things you brought up to mind too is how many people today watch people watch on videos of people playing video games, <laughs> right? With, you know, with Twitch, with what's going on with Fortnite and so forth. As they sit there watching people playing video games or watching their screen and interacting with it. And that I think is, a, is an amazing phenomenon.
0: Well, they sell fucking tickets yeah. to go to a live venue to watch. Yeah. And it's mostly big dudes, big screens <laughs> right. of people playing video games. That it's it, it's it's a mind blower. Well, and the other one, of right. course, that blows my mind is um there are many, I think it's over a hundred now, legit colleges in the United States of America that offer esports athletes yep. academic scholarships.
1: <laughs> yep. I actually worked with one last year, eight year in college, and they they do offer that. You know, it's it's like and they said, you know, we can't compete with the Harvard and the Yales on um, on the you know the big items and that and and that so what we want to do is we want to have we want every niche sport out there we want to have a team so right so if you're going to be a football player you're not going to come here or a baseball player but if you want to do esports if you want to do lacrosse if you want to do uh, crew or and 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 I, I I'm saying ones I know they're still probably pretty major but they have many more others that are just small things then this is a place you can go and excel at your sport while you're getting your education.
0: Again, differentiation. Exactly. You dropped a line somewhere back there that rattled through my brain. You said it quickly, though. I think you said uh, anything you can digitize, you can customize. Did I hear that right? Exactly. So tell me more about that, Joe, if you you don't know,
1: know. So the first book I wrote was Mass Customization. That led to the experience economy. And, and talking about that, I often talk about how, you know, anything you can digitize, you can customize. Once it enters the realms of zeros and ones, you can instantaneously change a zero to a one at zero cost, right? costs nothing to be able to do that so that you can customize it. And and sometimes you can customize the product itself, right? Any digital media, for example, that can be customized. It's why you now buy songs by the or uh, are, are by music by the song rather than the album because you get exactly the songs you want. And then Spotify and Pandora and all these others, they can they can set up a radio station basically that's just for for you. Uh, other cases, you can digitize the process by which you produce it. So you can mass customize uh, physical goods, for example, because you got a digital technology that says, okay, put this part there, take this part out of the bin instead of that printing, part. 3D printing,
0: so by way of example.
1: Well, 3D printing is beautiful because it digitizes physical things it digitizes atoms right every spot that the 3d printer you know traverses basically is a zero one do i put a dot here of physical material or do i not put a dot here of physical material and that is digitizing atoms is what's going on so exactly right and then if you can't do either of those so you can always digitize information about the product and the process to be able to mass customize to expose people to the options you know in my original book i had this this um, a framework on six different types of modularity. I won't go through them. I'll just mention the the uh, the one that, you know, has the most robustness I talk all about all the time about it, is sectional modularity. And that's Lego bricks, where you put all these together in different ways. In fact, again, I won't go into the details, but these six bricks, if you ignore color, you can actually put together in... Um, um, 981 million one hundred and three thousand seven hundred and sixty-five different ways <laughs> just six press. <print. laughs> and so I always talked about it as the most powerful form of modularity. And then finally, it's like early this year, it hit me that that digital is its own form of modularity. And I've been saying anything digitized and customize for 20, 45 years, but then I finally realized, well, zero one, zero, one, zero one. It's a modularity. Do I put a zero or do I put a one there? Right, that's modularity, and it's far more power, powerful than even the sectional modularity of Lego, which means that that uh, you know it leads right into again what we're talking about with with digital technology. It's why it's so powerful. It's why we can do so much with it. It's why we can we can create experiences that have never before been been engendered, um, um, envisioned, or encountered you know, because of that rise of digital technology and every single one of them can be customized to our needs, our perspectives, to what we want at this moment in time.
0: It, it really is true. And it, it allows us to see things that we've never been able to see before. Right. There are, there's like, you know, I think about something simple, like, um, drone photography. Mm-hmm. It's, Absolutely captivating, particularly the video, although the photos can be as well. And I think about, so why is this, why are we so captivated by this? Why does Apple, as the screensaver on the new Apple TVs, have this drone video slow-mo shit? And why can we sit there and just be mesmerized by it, right? And, And I think part of it is the experience of seeing something from a perspective that we never saw before.
1: Exactly. I was going to use that same word. It's perspective.
0: And so this atomization of everything that allows us to atomize and then reconfigure and customize products and experiences, it, it might sound like a lot of jargon, but if you if you sort of can soak in it for a sec, it begin it does begin to blow the mind because we have all these new perspectives that we can bring to. Product creation, company creation, uh, right. obviously experience creation itself, and, and, and fundamentally the way companies create and deliver value.
1: Right? Did we, did we talk about what Carnival Corporation is doing last time?
0: I don't remember. It was several whiskeys ago. Why don't we talk about <laughs> it <laughs> anyway?
1: <laughs> right. right, Several months and thousands of whiskeys. Uh, so so it's, it's my favorite example of it. We, in fact, gave Carnival our, our um, Experience Stage of the Year award in 2017 for what they're doing they created a program called ocean medallion and basically what it is it's a digital experience platform that they overlay on top of their ships right and they're they're starting with the the princess cruise line and they first did one ship then it went to three to five to seven and the next year or so they'll be at all the princess uh, cruise lines and with this ocean medallion which i've got a, a a a version here right it's an iot device and uh, every every guest gets it. They go online uh, before they, when they book the cruise, they upload their passport information so that they have, they know that they're, what they call ocean ready, that their passport you know, isn't is within six months of expiring, it's valid and all that. And then they send them one of these medallions. They could also buy a, a, a watch to put it in or a pendant if they wanted. Uh, and then when the, it knows who they are and they they upload their preferences of these are the things I want to do in, on the ship. So when they walk on the ship, you know, it used to be these dirty, dingy buildings where it's, you know, it's like 89 degrees down there in Fort Lauderdale, and you have to stop and show your passport and wait in line. Here, you just walk at a steady pace all the way on in this beautiful new building, right, to, to make an experience that, again, is a pre-show for the experience that you're going to have. And as you get up to the front uh, and get to the, the you know to the gangplank, uh, every Carnival employee has a tablet And your picture and your name and a check mark that says you're ocean ready pops up and they just welcome you on by name. As you go down your uh, uh, hallway, it recognizes you coming down. When you get to your stateroom door, touching the, the handle closes the electric circuit and they open the door, unlock it and welcome you by name. And then they create a mass customized itinerary. So the things that you like to do, right? So now they're designing the experiences over the time, right? Making sure that's time well spent and allowing you to, to, to uh, basically do exactly what you want, when you want, with your, with your family, with your guests, with your friends, whoever you're with. Uh, and then they're also recording, like, how, how much did you like it? How much time did you spend? Right? Knowing that if you spent more time than normal, that's probably time well spent for you. So they take that into account. If anything happens like it rains one day, then they can make personal experience invitations to, to change your itinerary. And now imagine going back the second time or a third time. And how my, every time that you go back, they learn about you and better customize to you so that they really create that, that, that desire for you to come back again and again. What they love, again, because it's all digital information, is that they, um, uh, they, can rem- they can learn, for example, that when you're on the pool deck with your kids, your favorite drink is an iced tea with no lemon. When you're in the bar with your buddies, it's a glass of whiskey. And when you're in the uh, restaurant with your spouse, it's a, it's a uh, glass of Shiraz. Right. So one even person are saying, what context am I in? You know, so it's an amazing way of digitizing, again, creating that digital experience platform to mass customize the experience for everybody.
0: You don't think it's tequila shooters with the kids at the pool? <laughs> no, I, I was, you know, I
1: was trying to imagine what you would want you know, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it depends.
0: And so if, uh, so I think all that's fascinating. We see uh, Disney doing similar things. Um Of course it, it, it raises some spooky yeah. privacy, uh, but, but, we can go there if you want, but the, 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 the sort of two things I want to go to with you about this is this aha. And, you know, we wrote about it in Play Bigger and yep. me and my buddy, Eddie Yoon, who's sort of the category guru to the Fortune 100. I love Eddie yeah. and yeah. Al for that matter. Yeah, good guys, big brains. Yep. <laughs> and so in, we talked about it in Play Bigger with Al and Dave and Kevin and, and, and um, Eddie and I have been doing some work sort of on the next level of it, I think, this notion of a data flywheel, that the companies that achieve category domination today, a big part of the strategy is can you get a data flywheel spinning so that more rapidly than others, you get meaningful big data that allows you to, to deliver outcomes, whether they're experience outcomes or product outcomes, or maybe it's pricing or maybe it's meaningful changes to distribution or value change, whatever it is, some kind of measurable business outcome that manifests itself in a, or that results in a, uh, a competitive advantage by building this data flywheel. And, and, the, and the faster and the bigger the flywheel spins and the more your ability to um, uh, take act, actions uh, and to deliver uh, results for customers, often in real time based on this data, just sort of is this whole... A uh, snowball effect that can happen in certain market exactly. categories that makes a company that gets this kind of flywheel spinning quickly almost uncatchable or unstoppable by competitors. But I'm curious how you think about it, Joe.
1: Well, well. Uh, uh, so first, on the on the privatization aspect or the the privacy aspect, let me mention that your know, research and practice does show that if you provide value to individual customers and of course keep the data safe, then then people are more than than welcome to give their data. And Carnival tells me that 99.5 percent of the people who go on the Princess cruises with this available accept it. You know, and they're and they they're in the same de, you know, more demographic, older demographic, you know, like like we are in general, and yet they, they see the value there. The flywheel who are you calling uh, older. I, right, I, I, was just agreeing with you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the um, you're you're exactly right on the data flywheel. The way I always talked about it is as a learning relationship. That if you cultivate a learning relationship that grows and deepens over time, that you, in fact, can almost lock your competitors out because you know more about this customer than, than, than they do. And if you if you had to, uh, even if they switch, they'd have to teach them all over again what you already know. And the way I do talk about it is that, that every interaction you have with a customer is an opportunity to learn about that customer. And the more you learn, the better they're able to customize to them. The better they customize to them, the more those customers are going to benefit. The more they benefit, then the more they're willing to interact and the more opportunity to learn and so forth. So that's the the, the data flywheel. And it really it defines, uh, I think, what customer centricity is all about. Is that It's the individual living, breathing customer at the center of that data flywheel that grows and deepens over time. And it does, as you say, lock out competitors.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that um, sort of experience, the experience work of 20, 25 years ago has flowed into this now, and the digital part of it has just, you know, been become more exponential over time. And, you know, we had John Rossman on not long ago who wrote Think Like Amazon. And, you know, of course, they're an incredible example of this, right? They just, their data flywheel about what all of us like, yep. want, and need is is something exactly. that, even the largest retailer in the world, Walmart, who I believe to this day is still the largest non-government employer in the United States, can't replicate because the level of, I don't know if I could use this term, Joe, data customer intimacy that Amazon has with us is, is not um, something that any other company has anything close to.
1: Right, right, and and it's and it's merely extending itself with the ability to have you know Amazon Echoes in your house. To um, eventually, you're going to have that in your car. You can now get it in your ear. Right, you can have an earpiece that you can you can contact uh, Amazon, and so they can listen and learn more about you over time. And one one of the things that I sort of like what Amazon is doing, for the most part, because they 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 have yet to sell your data. To anybody they have yet to they want to use it themselves they have yet to um, um, uh, lose any of the data and, and some sort of privacy issue uh, they in fact charge you a membership fee right the Amazon prime to be able to access all this and that makes you your their, their customer as opposed to a Facebook or an, or an apple where you're not the customer you're the product. Because they're selling your data to other companies, right? Then that that really, you know, I think that that, from an authenticity standpoint, that corrodes them from the inside out, because uh, they are are selling your data. That they're in it for the the data to sell to somebody else, rather than in it for your own best interest. And to this date, Amazon is in it for your interest, obviously to provide you value that they're going then going to gain, you know, make money off of, which is fine with me because they're giving me the value in the first place. They are, in fact, becoming one of the – they're they're sort of trying to compete with Google for being the largest advertiser. And we'll see if that then starts to corrode what they're doing as well. But it's still in the context of that customer relationship where they say, hey, you can buy from us. You can buy from them. We don't really care. We're going to make money either way. And as long as you are getting the benefit, as long as you value that, whichever way you go, we're going to increase that relationship. We're going to keep that flywheel going. And you're going to keep coming back to us.
0: Well, and it's such a fascinating juxtaposition and, and I think a powerful insight. Um, I think if you ask most people, uh, do you trust Amazon? I think most people say yes. Yep. And I think if you ask most people, do you trust Facebook? <laughs> there, there's a lot. Of, I don't know if most say no, but some meaningfully large, right? more people say no about Facebook than they do about right. Amazon. Right and it, it is it is the distinction between um, us being the customer and us being the product
1: right yep, yep, and I think Google is somewhere in between, you know because they even though their products are free they I, you know I use gmail myself uh they provide they do provide so much value, and they tend to do it very well um but I know that they're using that, and when I start to see things you know, like if I see a thing in an email that starts to be an ad that follows me around, then that gets me you know creeped out. <laughs>
0: Well, of course, now they have all the, you know, Nest cameras and and right. ring doorbells and ring cameras and like, yep. uh, so they're listening, they're watching, they're em-
1: <laughs> Right. That's right. They're not quite Skynet, but.
0: <laughs> now, I, I did want to ask you sort of a big question in my mind. If I'm not a business that maybe historically might think of itself as one of deli- delivering a transformational experience, a transformational outcome, um, You know, how might I begin to change my thinking to do something um, you know, very powerful in my business and very powerful for my customers?
1: Yeah, I think, if you, particularly if you want to look at transformations, and I think this, is, this is easier in B2B than B2C because, particularly in B2B, no, no customer ever buys your offering because they want your offering. It's always a means to an end. And if you sell the end rather than the means, then you'll gain much more economic value. So, so whether you are selling to a consumer or a business, think about means and ends, right? Think about if my, my product that I'm selling down, whatever whether that's commodity, goods, service, or experience, is a means to an end, right? What's the end? And how do I move my you know move directionally towards providing that end versus just the means? Um, and then in particular, you think about in terms of aspirations, you know, transformations about, about from Two, where are they today? What do they want to become? And how do you then help them do that? Uh, and, and eventually, you want to charge for that as well by charging for the outcomes that they achieve. And you, you remind me of this earlier when you're talking about various different companies that, that could be in the transformation business. Is, is you know, Ben Franklin's famous formulation about being healthy, wealthy, and wise. All of those are transformation businesses. And anytime you help somebody be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and we can think of that expansively, um, then you are basically in the transformation business, and eventually you're going to need to figure out how do you charge for the outcomes that your customers achieve?:
0: So um, I don't know why this pops to mind, but a management consultancy, if yep. I'm you know McKinsey or IDEO or or that sort of a company, you know I'm helping people get wiser. And and I'm helping to take them from where they are to where they want to be. And so, you know, is this, this reminds me a little bit of like, hey, uh, dummy, sell the benefits, not the features, right?
1: Right? (laughs) Right. So yeah, it is, it is, you know, it's, it's. You know, think about features are for goods, right? Sell the benefits is the services. You surround that and you sell the benefit, and that's the means to which they are the end to which they're buying the, the goods. With experiences, it's all about the the sensations that we have, the time that we spend. That's what you're selling versus selling the the, the benefits. And then with with uh, transformations, you know that end is the outcomes, is the aspirations that they want to achieve. So I think you're exactly right. You can just make you know, turn that right into that same progression. Of what you're of what you're selling your customers. So,
0: so if you, I have everyone
1: his- is the is the end to the means of the one below it.
0: So if I have historically thought of myself as a means provider, uh, I need to completely reorient my thinking and say, right. okay, wh- what it what is it what what is my customer ultimately really getting here?
1: Right. Right, and then that's that, and if you focus on that, you'll then find the offerings, find the ways to be able to help them um, um, affect those those ends. Yeah,
0: very good. Joe, I could talk to you for hours. I'd like to do a 20-part <laughs> series with you. <laughs> um, right. But I also want to be respectful of your time. Um, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap?
1: Oh, well, I thought we would just go back to one thing you said very early on that you wanted to talk about, which is the oh, original subtitle something? of the book. <laughs> Yeah, well, work, work is theater and every business is stage. Oh, yes, right? please. Right? So that was the original subtitle. Still in the, in the new re-release, we have three chapters on theater because because it's really true that when you are staging experience, you're on stage, right? You, your workers, you're on stage and need to engage the audience. You know, whether you know it or not, whether you do it well or not, how do you work with each customer and engage them uh, and create that experience uh, within them? So, so uh, being on stage is, is a crucial thing for um, frontline employees in particular, right? A lot, and a lot of companies make the mistake, you think of this as theme restaurant disease, is we can create a great environment, but then we ignore the interactions that people have in there. We're not going to have a great experience. My partner, Jim, and I, in fact, even, uh, we, we actually came out earlier this year with a frontline video training program, right, just for frontline personnel, translating what we do, which we've never really done before, into what frontline people do, no matter what business they're in. And we called it On Stage, right? That's how important the principle is. And, and it goes along with what we said about time well-saved and time well-spent, that another key distinction is services are about the what and experiences about the how. Right, so the what are the functional things that you have to do? If you're in retail, you have to straighten merchandise. You have to do a transaction. If you're in a hotel, you have to make up the bed. You have to refill the, the amenities. You got to check people in and so forth. But how you go about doing each one of those can turn any mundane interaction into an engaging encounter.
0: And there are those magical businesses that are not ones you... Commonly think of as innovative, but they have those magical experiential touches that they put into it. Um, that, you know, like I, I think of a simple one, Mrs. C's candies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you walk in there, uh, first of all, the look of the place creates an experience because it's got that old-time candy shop look yep. and the, the white uniforms and all that, right? And what's the first thing they do when you walk in? They hand you a free piece of chocolate. <laughs> Free chocolate, right? right. And so you can't it's can't go wrong with that. <laughs> you know, it's it's like the chocolate on the pillow in the old days yep. of the hotels or those little touches, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, we often emphasize how important that opening line is, right? That first interaction. You know, you go into most retail stores, and the first thing they ask you is, uh, you know, you know, can I help you? And of course, what do you answer? I'm just looking, right? Because you're not sort of ready for that, or it doesn't really spark a conversation. At Joanne's stores, right, for crafters in that you know, they actually came up with a, with an opening line, which is, what are you working on, right? Because you don't come into a Joanne unless you're working on something you needed to work on, and it opens up a conversation. Then you can figure out how you can help them with whatever they're working on. So it's just a great little, uh, you know, opening line, and, and that's a great thing to think about in any business you're in, what's your opening line?
0: And so having a, a little bit of a theatrical uh, flair, understanding that in the world that we're in today, Um, we all have to, um, you're either part of the noise or you rise above the noise. Right. Right. And so, um, in order to rise above the noise, we, we do have to be a little bit theatrical. We're we're competing with TikTok videos and (laughs) Kardashians and, you know, whether you love them or hate them or somewhere in between a, a president who tweets 400 times a day, we're not used to that. Right. There's just, there's a lot of stuff in the system.
1: Yep, and you got to You got to break through that noise. And a way to do that, you got to is to capture people's attention, right? So that they spend time with you, and then give you their money because of the value that you create for them, that experience you create within them. And that's why every company today is competing for the the time, attention, and money of individual customers. See how I did that? that? worked it all the way back to the new subtitle.
0: It was like, so good. It was so <laughs> like, a, like a trained, <laughs> speaking, thinking ninja warrior. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Anything else, Joe?
1: All right. That, that's great, Christopher.
0: I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much thank for your you. work. And I really appreciate you coming back. And please come back anytime. Super. we Will do. There he is, the legendary Joe Pine. And uh, I sure hope you do get a copy of his um, new updated book, The Experience Economy. Um, it really is incredible, and Joe's incredible. And if you love this episode, um, I think you'll also love episode 99 of Follow Your Different with Lee Hartley Carter. And she wrote a fantastic book called Persuasion. And it's really about how to use language strategically uh, in business. Uh, in politics, in life. So check out episode number 99 uh, on persuasion. Lee's also got a great book out called Persuasion. Um, and if you want to send us email, uh, if you must send us email to lockhead.com. We do our best to, uh, to keep up to date. If we don't get back to you uh, super quickly, just know we're, we're trying. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, my week social media game at Lockhead. All right. We would like to thank the legendary Joe Pine and his firm, Strategic Horizons. You can check them out at strategichorizons.com. OneLifeFullyLived.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check out the number one, LifeFullyLived.org. GrowWire.com. It's what uh, people who want to grow their businesses and their careers are reading today on the internet. Check out GrowWire.com. And we are, of course, living in the data age. And my friends at Splunk are bringing data to everything, helping you bring data to every question, every decision, and every action. Check out splunk.com slash D2E, as in data to everything, and learn how to turn data into doing. Splunk.com slash D2E. Um, Now, is it time to... um, Scale yourself? Why not look into the power of a virtual assistant with my friends at bottleneck.online? That's bottleneck.online. And if you're in the B2B space in Silicon Valley, you know your website is critical. As a matter of fact, your website is often the first thing that, comp- that people see when they Google your company and when they're interested in your company. My friends at Atranet have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for more than 20 years. Check out atre.net today. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. Uh, and we'd love it if you shared the shit out of it. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this podcast was produced and created in a studio that does contain nuts. Remember to teach transformation. In the event of business bullshit, take two follow your difference and tweet us in the morning. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. You're not supposed to sit in the left lane, people. Remember to listen to the Ramones. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Doug Parker, CEO of American Airlines. Sorry, Dougie. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for um, in- investing part of your life with me. Uh, stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different.